This morning we are reading from Acts chapter 2. I have no idea what page number that is in your pew Bible, so whoever gets there first, shout it out. (laughs) 1078 in your pew Bible, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues." Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever been in the right place at the right time? Or come to a time in your life when you weren't entirely sure what God was up to, and then all of a sudden, he used you in such a way that everything prior suddenly made sense to you. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples are right where they need to be. Right where they need to be for God to do something exciting, something new, something profound in and through them. We think of Pentecost as the day the Spirit came, but the name actually refers to a Jewish festival celebrated 50 days after Passover. The Greek word Pentecoste means 50th. And otherwise known as the Festival of Weeks, Pentecost was a harvest festival, and it was one of the three major pilgrimage festivals, meaning that Jews from all of the surrounding lands would come up to Jerusalem, to the temple, to offer sacrifices. And in the midst of this hubbub, the disciples are gathered in an upper room, and they are probably wondering what God might be up to in this new phase of their discipleship. They've been on a bit of a journey after all. Fifty days ago, they had had the Passover meal and then watched in horror as their leader, their Messiah, was murdered. 
And three days after that, they wake up to the news that Jesus' tomb is empty. And then later that day, Jesus materializes through a locked door to appear before them very much alive. And for the next 40 days, they go about life as normal with Jesus, watching him do miracles, listening to him preach about the kingdom of God. And then he vanishes. He takes the disciples up onto a mountain, promises them that he will give them the Spirit, instructs them to wait together for the Spirit in Jerusalem, and then is taken up into the clouds and disappears from sight. So now the disciples are waiting. They are gathered together in Jerusalem, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And while this promise from Jesus, wait for my spirit, might seem to come out of the blue, this promise, the disciples would have heard this promise and had a pretty good idea, actually, of what they were waiting for because the spirit is mentioned throughout the Old Testament scriptures that they would be familiar with. In the very beginning, Genesis 1 tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, over the formless void. And the name for the Spirit here is Ruach, which means breath or wind. And so the disciples would know that the Spirit is creative. He brings life. He brings newness. In the stories of the leaders of Israel, the Spirit is given to kings and prophets and judges, equipping them for their work. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel anoints David as king, and immediately after, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 2 Chronicles 24 verse 20 tells us that the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest, so that he was able to speak the words of the Lord to the people of Israel. And Judges 14 relates the story of a young Samson who comes face to face with a lion. And verse 6 says that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. So the disciples would have known that the Spirit equips gives wisdom, gives strength, and enables God's people to do what they could not do on their own. And the disciples would have known that the Spirit was anticipated by the prophets, that the Spirit was going to come upon God's people as a herald of the last days. This is the passage Pastor Amanda read as our call to worship and the passage that Peter will quote to the gathered crowd a little bit later to convince them that they're not actually drunk. This passage from Joel 2, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the disciples would have known that this promise of the spirit is a promise that the day of the Lord was close at hand. That some new era of God's story was upon them. And so they wait 
unsure what it will mean for the Spirit to come upon them, unsure what the Spirit will equip them to do, what new thing will happen, but they wait with eyes wide open, trusting that whatever this thing is, it will be part of God's reign and rule over the earth. You and I have our own story or our own ideas of what it means for the Spirit to come upon people. And I wonder if our ideas of the Holy Spirit leave us not so much in a high state of anticipation, but in a place of dubious anxiety. Dubious because we just don't quite think that the Spirit works today in the same way he used to. Right? We, we hear these stories from Scripture where people are filled with the Spirit and they start speaking in tongues or healing people or ripping lions apart and performing miracles. And stories today, when we hear these stories now, we react to them with some skepticism, clicking our tongues a little bit and raising our eyebrows. It all just seems a little too out there, a little too weird, and it just isn't our reality. This doesn't happen in our lives every day. So, sure, we believe that the Spirit is present among us, but also maybe believe he isn't quite as on top of things as he used to be, or that he's with us in some different kind of way. And I think part of us doesn't really mind this because talk of the Spirit also fills us with some anxiety, precisely because we associate the Spirit with rather standout-ish behavior, people flailing about on the floor in a church service or suddenly pronouncing judgment on some dark demonic force or speaking in a language that no one can understand. And we would rather not be all that standout-ish. Thank you very much. I was at a conference last week where Pastor Mary Hulst, the chaplain at Calvin University, was talking about this passage, and she reminded us a little tongue-in-cheek that the life verse of the Christian Reformed Church has historically been 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, let everything be done decently and in good order. We are typically not ones for anything that makes us strange or unusual or different from anyone else. We like things to be done properly, to know what to expect, to carry on unobtrusively in life. This can be summed up quite nicely in a Dutch phrase I heard a lot, do normal, just be normal. So on the one hand, we're a little skeptical that the Spirit is here in the same way he was in 30 AD. And on the other hand, we're not so sure we want him to be here in the same way he was in 30 AD. So we are waiting for the Spirit, but perhaps doing so with one eye closed. Well, when the Spirit came upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost... It was pretty hard to miss this event, even with one eye closed. If you had ears, 
You would have heard the blowing of a violent wind sweep through the house, and presuming that this would have caused you to open your eyes, you would have seen what looked like tongues of fire coming to rest on each of the disciples. Now, the passage doesn't say that the Spirit was in the wind and the fire, or that these things were the Spirit, but the wind and the flame certainly represent the Spirit and vividly and dramatically depict to the disciples and to us the presence of the Spirit, the ruach, the breath of God among those who are gathered. And the breath of God fills the disciples. And as it had with God's people for centuries, the Spirit equipped them to do something they could not do on their own. Filled with the Spirit, the disciples began to speak in different languages. And I think sometimes we skip over this, the importance of this fact when we hear this story. We, we're so used to this story that we just take it as, as fact, right? That the Spirit enabled them to speak in different languages. But it's a pretty remarkable point. The very first thing the Holy Spirit does when he comes upon the followers of Jesus is enable them to speak in many languages. The disciples don't immediately begin to heal people or cast out demons. They simply speak. But they speak in languages that all the people who are gathered in Jerusalem, all the foreigners from different parts of the Roman Empire, are able to understand. Which means that the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, the good news that up until this point had been limited to Jerusalem and the surrounding local areas, this good news can now be heard by a Parthian and a Mede and an Elamite and an Egyptian and a Mesopotamian. And they can take this curious news uh, back to Egypt, back to Greece, back to Persia, and share it with their neighbors and their family and their colleagues. And so what Jesus told the disciples before he ascended will come true. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. The first thing the Spirit does when he comes upon God's people is to equip those people to preach the gospel of the risen Lord to the ends of the earth. All without having to step outside the city gates. The disciples are in the right place at the right time, and the Spirit uniquely equips them for this moment. This moment when so many are gathered in Jerusalem around them so that the good news of the kingdom of God can be proclaimed. Pentecost is sometimes referred to as the birthday of the church. And if that's so, then the role of the church is clear. The church exists to proclaim the good news that salvation through Jesus Christ, our living hope, is available to all. And the Spirit equips the church to preach this news. And this is what the Spirit keeps on doing. 
Pentecost was not a one-and-done situation. The Spirit keeps on coming upon God's people, keeps on equipping us to preach the good news. And it keeps on using us in our own unique moments, in the places and times that we inhabit, giving us the right words or the right actions in order to present the gospel compellingly to those around us. Sometimes we can look back over our life and see very specifically how God used us in a particular moment, how we were in the right place at the right time for God to do something powerful. But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are always in the right place at the right time. There is no place where the Spirit cannot use us. And so for each one of us, the question on this Pentecost Sunday is, how am I uniquely empowered and equipped and situated to spread the good news to people? Where am I placed? What gifts do I have? Who are the people around me that need to hear this good news? I heard a story a few weeks ago of a woman whose kids were in public school and that wasn't going very well. And so she was thinking of pulling the kids out of school and homeschooling them. But then within about a week and a half, two different people, unknownst to each other, approached this woman and said, I think you're supposed to pray for this school. And so she listened and she got together a group of moms who all had kids in that school. And every week they would go into the school and they would pray for it. They would ask the teachers and the staff what they could pray for for them. They would walk the hallways and pray over the classrooms. After a year or so, the project fizzled out and it didn't look like much had come of it. But 15 years later, in a city on the other side of the province, this same woman was leading an alpha course in a pub. And a young woman showed up for the very first class. And they sat and talked for a while, and this young woman said, don't I know you from somewhere? And after some questions and some conversation, they discovered that this young woman had been a student at that public school and had watched this woman lead a group of moms praying over the school. And she had always remembered that group of moms. And she remembered that group of moms when she started asking some questions about faith and about God. The Spirit used this mom in this place at this time to plant seeds of faith in a student. Where are you right now? What are you doing? Who are the people around you? Maybe you are a stay-at-home parent. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit as you raise children, as you interact with teachers and school boards, as you open up your home to your child's friends? 
Maybe you are an engineer or a software developer or a builder. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit as you create and work with your colleagues and face setbacks and accomplish projects? Maybe you are retired and your days are a little freer than they were before. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit as you interact with the staff and neighbors at your retirement home, as you volunteer at the Mission Thrift Store, or you knit for an orphanage, as you attend Bible studies or make meals for your friends? What does it look like to be Spirit-filled in the classroom, on the golf course, at the cottage, as you mow your lawn or tend to your garden? What does it look like to be Spirit-filled as you run errands, or go to the gym, or have drinks with coworkers? Wherever you are right now, in whatever you are doing, with whatever group of people surround you, how is the Spirit equipping you to preach the good news that Jesus' salvation is for all? The Spirit may not be enabling you to suddenly start speaking in Mandarin, but can you speak code and so find a kinship with your colleague over this shared interest, opening the door to further conversation. And you may not be equipped with the sudden gift of healing, but you can make a mean apple pie to bring to your sick neighbor with a little note telling them that you're praying for them. And you might not be able to wrestle a lion, but you can gather up your hurting child and put all of your strength into that hug so they know that they are not alone. And you can remind them through that hug that they are never alone, that God holds them close each and every day, just like you do. The Spirit equips you, you, exactly where you are right now to bring the good news of Jesus' love. You are in the right place at the right time. So on this Pentecost Sunday and on every day, will you open up your eyes and your ears and your heart to be used by the Spirit in exactly the way he has ordained for you? So that when we say to one another, do normal, just be normal, what we mean is, be filled with the Spirit today. For he is here among us, filling each of us and using us to preach the good news of God's love. Will you pray with me? And so, Holy Spirit, come upon us and fill us. Equip us to preach the good news of Jesus' love in our unique contexts and communities, using our unique gifts and abilities. Open our eyes to see how you are at work among us, and open our hearts that we might surrender our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.